0: Welcome to the archives of Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Wayne Knight, an artist based in Mendocino County, California with over 40 years experience, traveled very little before he found himself in Phnom Penh, Cambodia in 1995 and 1996. He spent about a year there looking, seeing, and painting scenes that previously were beyond his ken and beyond his imagination. Wayne Knight also worked with the Cambodian Defenders Project in developing computer access to their legal resources in Cambodia. He tells me his experience verified his security and in many ways enhanced his continuing growth as an artist. This program is part of a series on Southeast Asia, originally broadcast in 1997. Wayne, during your experience in Cambodia, uh, how did you see that your artistic experience that you've developed uh, with your eye and your hand and your palette, uh, your paint palette, over 45 years... How did that change?
1: Well, in 45 years you can develop a lot of habits. You can have a lot of uh, securities you need to proceed in the creative process. By going to Cambodia, by going to Asia, um, all the things I could rely on in the past were relieved. Um, How so? Well, Well, I have my uh, rituals to Uh, the painting process. I have my coffee, I have my music, I have my really nice studio. And none of those things existed in my um, new home in Cambodia. Um, So I had to learn how to adjust to noise, to uh, unexpected visits, um, to heat, to humidity, um, and a lot of things that just simply weren't familiar. Um, it was a great test of um, my need to be creative.
0: So what did that
1: test uh, tell us? What, what are the results? Oh, I think one of the things that all artists live with is this great insecurity that they're a phony. <laughs> that they're actually um, not um Real. And when you go to a place like that, where no one really cares, they don't know your name, they don't know your reputation, they don't know what you do, um, and you want to paint and you need to paint under a set of circumstances you're unfamiliar, um, it's a real test to whether your skills are there. Um, have you always just been a comfortable uh, artist under comfortable circumstances, or is this talent yours? Uh, and that really, I felt like that really came through. Um, I was able to say, yeah, I could draw the people of the street, I could paint the people of Cambodia. Um, but that was after about, uh, I would say, eight weeks of a very difficult adjustment.
0: I want to hear about the adjustment and, and how you lived through it and, and came out the other side. Uh, and maybe you could tell us that uh, by describing what it was that you saw that you then produced on on a picture, on a canvas, on a sketch?
1: Well, I'm not much of a traveler up until this time. So just hitting an entirely different culture, an entirely uh, opposite economic system, um, to have uh, the poor uh, right before you, to have uh, difficult social circumstances, difficult um, communication, travel circumstances. Um, I was in shock uh, for the first several weeks um, and attempts at producing art when I had been living in my ideal studio in Mendocino were very difficult. Um, So I started slow with drawing and basically drawing the people and the scenes that I'd seen in the streets there was a real powerful emotional response to that kind of um, deprivation that those people live with on a daily basis. Tell me. Well, there's not the social programs that we're used to. I mean when people are socially objectionable, uh, here they find ways to bring them off the streets although we see more and more of it, it's not the same impact that you have there. Uh, the deformed, the hungry, the starving um, are right there in front of your face. Uh, and that has a real impact. My theory is there are those that are more analytical and those who are emotional. And I definitely found myself to be much more emotional. There are people who do good work in third world countries by being very analytical about where the problems are. Um, How did the, the starvation get to this point? And for me it was just, wow, it hurts. How did you live with that? How do you deal with that pain? when you want
0: to show it, when you bring it back and and show us the the array
1: of paintings that you've collected? I think you understand that it hurts. Um, You do want to communicate it. Um, There were two interesting things that happened. Um, One is I found the drawing the best way to communicate the social circumstance. Um, it was much more editorial-like. So I would do pen and inks, almost in the traditional method of editorial drawings, except I wouldn't have captions. The stories would stand for themselves. So that's how I depicted the mine victims, the legless, the beggars, uh, the starving, and often just normal everyday life, how rice was dealt with, how cooking was done, what the landscape was like. Those stories I really processed through pen and ink my more romantic response to individuals face to face, to a vendor whose face might capture. Um, I went to the paintings and did uh, some almost 30 portraits and then somehow had to tie in their particular uh, method of making a living, their occupation, their craft. Um, But that was much subtler than the drawings. So I definitely felt there was information for me, that my idea of person-to-person, a romantic notion, was in the oil portrait. My idea of telling a story or editorializing was through pen and ink.
0: What were some of the stories that uh, you saw that you then put down on a
1: two-dimensional plane? Well, I think the most repetitious was how did people eke a living? If someone found a grid, a metal grid, they were in the banana roasting business. In other words, if you could take a couple of pieces of logs, put the grid up and go get some bananas, start a fire under it, you could sell roasted bananas. So a lot of the imagery um, going to market on a moto with dozens of either chickens or ducks tied to the moto or a live pig tied to the moto, that was the most standard um, method of transportation. Um, a lot of the drawings were really based on how were people getting by. Uh, a moto is uh, a small motorcycle. Small motorcycle, yeah. There were just thousands in the street. It was terrifying to cross the street, um, especially the first few weeks. And the only way you survived was to get into it. Yeah. Where were you in Cambodia? Phnom Penh. We actually were in the capital the majority of the time. Which is a city of what dimension? Oh gosh, i um, not qualified to answer that. I'd say a million people probably be ballpark.
0: In terms of your work as an artist, um, what effect did uh, being there have on uh, the mechanics
1: and, and the philosophy of what it was that you came back with? I think I, I felt like I had to get as much impact as quickly as possible. So pen and inks were very gestural, very limited in their detail. And the painting's probably very much the same way. Since I had this small window where I could develop a certain comfort zone in a day, I think what people don't understand is going to the store, going to the embassy, going to work, was there was always the unexpected, always things changing. and that was part of my awakening of how conservative I'd been in my own home, how controlled I'd had everything. Since there was no element of control, um, you had to be ready to work when the time came. So you had to be much more spontaneous, much more aggressive in terms of uh, the paint lay down. So the paintings were quick, spontaneous, pretty energetic. And I think the drawings were the same way. How do you feel about that? It's having, great. having been uh, from an, another school, if that's the right word. Yeah, it, it's great. It, and that's what I meant about, there was always this level of insecurity. Did you have that root ability? Did you have that uh, spontaneity? In the studio, you can, you can rework a painting over and over and over again. I didn't feel like I had that luxury in Asia. They had to work, they had to work relatively quickly. Um, and then I would move to the next project. And I think I did something like 150 drawings and some 30 paintings. Um, And they do have a certain energy that I think I'll now carry into the studio work. Um, And uh, I think a new discovery, the biggest one, was the landscape. I'd always done primarily the figure and primarily portraits. Um, But the incredible geometric shapes of the rice paddies kind of hit me. Uh, And a lot of that could come from the connection of the California... Uh, abstract Expressionist, um, the um, Bay Area Figurative School, Richard Diebenkorn, and Parks, who did very geometric, flat designs. And I saw those in the rice paddies. And I began to develop mm, uh, a real longing to do um, landscapes. And that developed into a whole new genre for me. And I'm continuing that now that I've gotten home.
0: Are you continuing
1: to work uh, on the images that you saw and brought back with you from Cambodia? Not at all, and I think that's very telling. I mean, it was a total experience. The imagery was from there, about there, um, and I've had no desire to try to say, oh, well, there was this one drawing I should have done and I can do it now. I've I made the journey, i made the work, and I've left it uh, in terms of that kind of production.
0: Is that something that you've done before, drawn a clear line
1: in your artistic work? No, no. I think it's really, again, I'm a novice traveler. I could see it happening again. I I don't know that I would always limit myself. I think that's the thing you learn, that you might as well be surprised by whatever your results are.
0: I want to take a moment and say that I'm talking with uh, artist Wayne Knight about his 10-month visit to Phnom Penh in Cambodia, which uh, ended in May of 1996. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Wayne, Wayne um,
1: why Cambodia? What drew you there? How did you afford it? Well, the genesis of the trip was um, my dear friend, Linda Kramer, who was headed over to direct the Cambodian Defenders Project. She asked if I would be interested in traveling. Um, I was shocked, and I said yes. <laughs> um, to finance the trip, um, I had to basically write a letter to my uh, patrons, saying if they would asking if they would be interested in pre-buying some works, um, asking them to make monthly installments, uh, so I'd have an income coming in, uh, and it went very well. Um, the about twenty of the paintings and. Uh, about eight of the drawings were pre-sold uh, with monthly installments, so my bills could be met uh, while I was there. Um, it was a great opportunity and a great journey.
0: While you were there, you were connected also with the Cambodian Defenders Project. Right. Tell us about that,
1: what what work you did for them. I was really lucky. Um, I ended up with two major projects, and that was one, the art project, and then the Cambodian Defenders project. And um, Linda was the director of the program. um, And it turned out I was one of the few people associated with the program that had some real computer background. And Linda conceptualized that data and office management and publications were going to be important for the Defenders' professionalization. Uh, both in fundraising and their interaction with clients and their government. Um, so one of the major projects was a database. So I went in uh, using real typical programs, in this case Microsoft Access, and set up a database under Linda's guidance in terms of the fields and what the characteristics of the data that they needed. Um, they had none. Uh, so, from there, we went into a couple of directions, including their accounting program I, I put on a computer and a graphics ability, um, since that's my true background, or the graphics arts, we set up their ability to publish at the desktop level for both um, evidence, uh, fundraising, uh, newsletters, whatever we felt would be necessary as a support system. So I kind of helped uh, tie the management system to the computer.
0: What kind of experiences, from the point of view of an artist, did you have being involved in in the development of a law project? Something that I suspect is probably uh, another new project for you.
1: Right. Well, the core of the project was to establish the first defense system. Um, for the poor um, and you lived with that on a daily basis in the streets. So it was like one project. It was my observation of how people lived and in this sense um, being involved in the direct reformation of a very difficult society whose damage through the Khmer Rouge, um, our involvement with the war in Asia, Um, economically deprived. Um, So some of the same responses that I had emotionally and artistically I could actually have a hand in a little scratch of uh, the Reformation.
0: Wayne, tell me about your daily contact with the people who you met through the Cambodian Defenders Project.
1: Well that's one of the highlights. Um, I met and. Uh, formed friendships with some of the finest people I'd ever met. Um, I was training them in computer systems, and that put us together hour after hour. We were excited about the project, they were excited about the project. Um, so I got to learn a little bit about their lives, their experiences of surviving the Khmer Rouge, the war, um, and difficult economic times their relationships with families, um, how they live, how they eat, how they celebrate. Um, went to weddings, um, went to dinner, went to lunch. Um, just the ability to uh, interact with people who um, are working so hard to survive um, and are so kind and generous.
0: When you talk about those experiences that they shared with you, what are the ones that come to mind?
1: Well, I, I remember being on uh, the road to pick up some supplies with the young man I was training in the accounting program. And it's a simple little phrase, but it was really important to me. He leaned over to me and said, you know, if I learn this computer program well enough, I have a business. And that's a simple thing. But when you think about their survival mentality, their need to make a living. Um, this would put him at a professional level that he, even if the program went by the wayside or he decided to take another professional direction, would have a skill. And that's really meaningful to me to walk away thinking I had something to do with him learning that skill that could make a total change in the rest of his life.
0: What sort of uh, uh,
1: stories were shared with you about the Khmer Rouge? Well, I had actually heard stories of... Um, during heavy work periods, when they were working on the dams, that was all done by hand, buckets, hose, shovels. And there was a period of work where they were told there would be no sleep. And they would literally organize enough to lean on a hoe to catch just a few moments of rest. And that whole concept of somebody surviving day after day, um, not only uh, being deprived of food, but of sleep, getting that basic Um, So to hear stories of someone catching maybe five minutes sleep with the help of a co-worker or co-workers uh, by leaning, because if they were actually laying or actually found um, sleeping, they would be killed. Just for the act of, of being asleep? Yes. And how, when and where was this? Well, the period of Khmer Rouge rule, um, 75 to 79, I believe, was the Vietnamese invasion that broke uh, the Khmer Rouge back. Um, So most of these people were quite young, 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, because they were um, you know, family men now in their 30s, and women. Um, Most of them were in their 30s, I would say.
0: And they were basically brought into uh, a slave labor condition. Absolutely.
1: Families were dispersed from Phnom Penh immediately. Within three days, the city was emptied. um, Separated and and dispersed? Separated and dispersed. At first, the Khmer Rouge uh, made them believe they would be able to contain their families. Uh, As the months passed, there was even separations there. Um, They began their purge of what they considered to be the contaminated class, the educated, um, the whole point of Pol Pot was to go to Ground Zero, he called it, uh, to eliminate Western influences, to go back to an agricultural society, uh, and to do it with an aggressiveness that killed um, some theorize a million and a half people at the low end. Some people say as many as three million. How is the country coming back together now? very difficult, very slow. Um, I think there has been a lot of environmental damage. Um, There have uh, certainly been exploitation. Um, There are signs of um, economic revival in terms of Phnom Penh, restaurants, stores, um, a lot of possibilities. But the rural areas are still quite poor. on the whole, they don't produce enough rice to support themselves, so they still have to import, and that makes it very difficult when you don't have uh, the money. How is it for uh, Westerners,
0: uh, non-Cambodians, uh, to be there for a long period of time to settle in and actually create a home? How are you received?
1: I think on the whole, by the people, it feels very good, very friendly on the street. Um, There are elements that are terribly hostile, um, both politically and on a criminal level. Um, There are lots of robberies. Um, It's not really safe uh, to drive the countryside, for instance, after dark. You're told almost immediately that 4 o'clock is about the limit that you want to be traveling in the countryside. The military presence, the number of guns, And the lack of control over that presence is very threatening, very scary. There are checkpoints everywhere where um, basically an extortion for money is asked. um, And there is the habit of drinking during the day by many of the soldiers, and they can become very careless by the end of the day, so you don't really travel uh, at night. By careless you mean free with their bullets? right? So
0: coming back to the issue of um, of being an artist, uh, living in in this situation where you're not free to travel as you are here in, in North America, at least in our part of North America, um, what kind of control or uh, result did that have on the ability for you to see something with your eyes and put it down on paper with your hands?
1: I think confidence. I really feel like if I could work in that circumstance, I can work in any circumstance. And what that does when you return home is it opens the door to new issues. I may want to take on um, social issues in my own drawings here, which have not been a real strong part of it. I may want to take another look at landscape here which I really am enjoying, and see the same, there's a great similarity between the rectangular divisions of a vineyard versus a rice patty. So, it's brought a, a new awakening, a new sensitivity, um, and I think a real confidence to go ahead and relinquish my um, role and my comforts here, and be able to produce, is going to do great things from this point on even here for me. Not all of us can go to Cambodia and have an experience like you did.
0: Right. Do you have some thoughts on how uh, that confidence level could be developed without having a, an experience like you've had?
1: I think if you, were, if you jumped in the car and you headed to a strange town and started drawing in the middle of a plaza. This is difficult for me to do, and I don't do it, but I may try now. Um, and just challenge yourself to what the environment you're working in. Walk away from that familiar studio, walk away from those um, friends that may always be supportive, and maybe take a week and draw um, on a bike ride, um, on a backpack trip, or in the middle of a strange city. But I think just shake yourself up a little. This was a big one for me, but it was very productive. Do you have plans for another shake-up? I want to do it sometime, yeah. Um, I want to absorb this one. It's taken a long time to readjust and I, I almost feel like it's going to be a day per day adjustment um, and many things I don't want to leave behind. But yes, in the future, I'd love to do it again.
0: What are the things that you wish to carry with you
1: not to leave behind? I There was this overwhelming sense that you have no control. And I think I came... I went to Asia with a sense that I have control, and I came back knowing that I don't have it at all.
0: (laughs) Wayne Knight, I want to thank you for joining us on Radio Curious. Thanks, very great. And before we close, I want to ask you the question I ask all of my guests at the close of an interview, and that is, if you could please tell us about an interesting
1: book that you've read lately. Okay, great. Um, I'll have to take a moment... I'm in the middle of reading Emma Goldman's *Living My Life*, um, and I think that kind of um, sense of social responsibility and gutsiness and adventure um, is a good model for us all.
0: It makes me makes me want to ask you the question in the uh, short time that we have left: as uh,
1: what you see to be the social responsibility of the artist? I think. There's two levels that I see that at. And that is to recognize that we always have been craftsmen first. The concept of artist as poet, as purely an aesthetician, um is new. We also serve to generate design and imagery for other people. So to communicate, to be able to communicate is a responsibility. And if other people can't do it, you need to do it for them. Wayne
0: Knight, thanks for joining us on Radio Curious. Thanks, Barry. Wayne Knight is a California artist who spent about a year in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, in 1995 and 1996. The book that he recommends is Living My Life by Emma Goldman. Other programs about Southeast Asia, which you may enjoy, are with Daniel Ellsberg, discussing the Pentagon Papers and Vietnam, and with Linda Kramer, a public defender from Marin County, California, who was employed by the Cambodian Defenders Project to provide legal services for people who otherwise were unrepresented and unfamiliar with the Cambodian legal system. Copies of this and other editions of Radio Curious can be found on our website, www.radiocurious.org. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org, and I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious.org at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California, 95482. The phone is 707-621-5075. Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.